Some of you might know that I do some angel investing on the side and I keep a cold email address open for that purpose. So a few weeks ago, I was cold emailed from someone trying to raise money for an end-to-end -end encryption startup. And that's something that I don't normally play in because I don't know anything about encryption. So I almost turned this down, except I clicked through and read their Notion doc and it's the most comprehensive and concise pitch I've ever received through a cold email. So I took the meeting and this conversation with Ashot is what happened. He's building Calm, which is an end-to-end -end encryption startup, but his go-to-market is an alternative end-to-end self-hosted version of Discord, focused on privacy, of course. The long-term vision is that it could replace Dropbox, Gmail, Facebook, Mint, 1Password, and so on, if he gets this key server protocol right and successfully get some kind of market adoption. So that's a very big if, but the upside is also huge. And whenever you encounter one of these things, that becomes a very interesting angel investment because you'll probably lose your money, but if it succeeds, it succeeds very big. He's looking to hire senior engineers and a product and a design lead. So stick towards the end for those hiring and collaboration details if you are interested. All right, enjoy. Yeah, good to meet you too, man. It was very impressed with your Notion doc. <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad you read it. A lot of folks kind of skimmed through. So it's great to see that you wanted one detail. Wait, so so you wanted to record this, right? Was that? Yeah, literally it's just like a just in case. I think it would yeah. be interesting to either share if you want to, if you don't mind sharing, you can always cut stuff out if you're not uh, comfortable with it. Or you can just keep it to yourself and then look back in four years or something and, yeah. and, and think about how things have changed. It's always nice to um, record stuff. Yeah, I'm down. When you say share, do you have like a social media thing that you want to share? Yeah, I have, I have a YouTube or and I have a personal podcast where I record conversations that are interesting with people. Yeah, I'm, honestly, I'm down. I'll tell you, I've done, I've done this pitch like a hundred times now, so I'm, I've gotten pretty good at it. So I'm pretty comfortable being recorded. Let yeah. me ask this. What's your setup? I sometimes record meetings. I use grain, but I think that's more for, I don't know, getting transcripts to share with the team and stuff like that. I don't know. What, what do you usually use? For recording? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I have, we've got Zoom that's going to kick out two audio sources. And then I might edit in uh, Audacity for mm -hmm. echo or like noise or whatever. And then Descript for cutting out ums and ahs and word gaps and stuff like that. Sometimes if a conversation needs a lot of rearranging, I might have to like, so I edited this uh, one episode where there was the two guys talking about a concept, tofu, mofu, and bofu, top of funnel, middle funnel, and bottom of funnel. And they neglected to define it until the end of the episode. <laughs> they spent the entire episode talking about it. That's and I funny. had to go cut the thing and then put it on top and then, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I got it. I got it. sounds like you have a more, much more professional setup than I do. So I yeah, mean, whatever works for you. It's amateur, but with a little effort put in, I think people can get a long way towards instead of just dumping raw audio, which most people seem to do. Cool. Yeah, cool. So I, I read through, I read through your thing, which is why I, it seems like you've practiced this for a bit. You have a really interesting background. I've always wanted to visit Azerbaijan. Like I was like, when I saw Baku, I was like, ah, I recognize that uh, from when I was memorizing. Yeah. So just some background. I'm ethnically Armenian and there is huge ethnic tension between Armenia and Azerbaijan. You can think of my family more as refugees. Armenian. Yeah. We're like Armenian refugees from Azerbaijan. We actually can't visit Azerbaijan. If an Armenian, a person with an Armenian name tries to visit Azerbaijan, they won't let you in. My parents have not been able to visit their home since they 
were kicked out. So yeah, it's a weird background, but yeah, just, just yeah, I, did, I didn't figured know. I'd I share did. that. <laughs> yeah, cool, it's cool. Lots of history. The obviously the most famous Armenian I know is uh, Sona Mosesian on the Conan show. Who is that? Yeah. I actually don't know who that is. Oh, wow. wait. Okay. Yeah, she's, she's oh, like the she's, most famous like Armenian. <laughs> okay, she's like his production assistant or something. He's just straight up assistant. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. But I think now she's a little bit more than assistant. She, he turns his staff into celebrities, which is pretty oh, cool. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I've only seen some secondhand Conan material floating yeah. around. I don't watch well, it. Well, they visited Armenia and they learned a bit about the history and, and the genocide there and all that. So it's heavy stuff. I didn't obviously pay super close attention to the full history, but I, I know that there's uh, there's some heavy stuff going on. Okay. And, and then you join Facebook super early. It's just like a really inspiring story, man. And that's pretty cool. I'm unclear on, you said you worked on Calm for four years. I'm unclear on like when that transition happens. Yeah. Right? Why it happens. Because it, it takes a certain awakening to quit Fang and start working on something so fringe I, I think it's fringe I, I don't know I don't it's know pretty fringe sure yeah yeah so so a couple of things first when I say I've been working on calm for four years I actually only got the idea for this like whole end-to-end encryption platform about a year ago so when I say I've been working on it for four years what I mean is well the code base I'm working with has been around for four years and I've been pretty actively working on it but before it was calm it was something called squad cal which is basically this app I built for my friend group it's like a slack for a friend group with an integrated calendar and specifically the lodestar was my burning man camp we're like 200 people and we have this problem we've tried like slack we've tried discord we have this problem where we're, we're simultaneously very spammy we like to shoot the shit, have fun. But we also have all these deadlines and all this project collaboration that needs to happen. And on these platforms, it's often very difficult to separate signal from noise. It feels like they're built to be just spam out everything that you're thinking. And there aren't a lot of tools there to say, I want to follow this or I want to make sure I, I get the updates here, but maybe I'll only check this channel when I'm on the toilet or something. And they're getting better. They're rolling off features, but I still feel like it's like a second kind of priority. It's not something that's really at the forefront. So that's a large part of why I built SquadCal. The other kind of side of it is I used it for my own friend group here in New York. And yeah, I've been working on it for a while, but off and on, honestly, and only about a year ago. And uh, when I started working on the antenna encryption layer, which I always wanted to do, there's something I kind of, the, the pandemic happened, I was stuck at home. I was like, what am I going to do? And I decided to work on that antenna encryption layer. It was only then when I really got the idea for Calm. And since then also, we were really pivoting a lot of the apps. So there's enough calendaring focus and now it's being put to the side and being framed as the first app. Um, there's actually meant to be like any number of apps that you can install to your community. You had this question, the other question you kind of asked, like what, what made me leave Facebook? So I guess, I guess it's probably best to start with the story of, of how I joined Facebook. So I guess I was like a wide-eyed college student. The background is I actually, I've always loved kind of social and my programming has always kind of been from that angle. My whole family were, is, is actually programmers, like my mom, my dad, my uncle, my cousin, my sister, everyone. It's kind of crazy. And I learned how to program pretty young, but I found most of it boring. Like my, my parents gave me K&R when I was 12. And I spread through it, wrote some like calculator command prompt apps. And I was like, this is not fun. And I, honestly, I really only got into it when I discovered PHP and forums. That's what really got me excited. And this is like circa like 2003, 2004. And all my early programming was like modding forums. So I had this forum where I had all my friends on, come online. We like hung out there. I like skinned it and then started adding these like different mods. I actually, at the time, there's this model of like posting for hosting, which you probably don't remember unless you were spending a lot of time back then. But basically the idea is you go on a forum, you post a bunch, they'll give you free hosting for your own website, right? And so we started doing that and we offered like a lot of features and got pretty popular pretty quickly. 
for a while we were, if you Googled free hosting, the first site was this directory and we were listed at this number one on that directory. So we were like the largest free host for a long time. This is a lot of my kind of college years, actually more high school and then early college was like also building out and automating that, that kind of hosting service. And we actually, we scaled it to intense amount. Like so we, we scaled to the point where, so we use this control panel, C panel, there were we had more accounts on our server than they did when they did load testing. Like they, they had like <laughs> internal load testing they did. We had all this like customization we did to make that happen. So anyways, long story short, I was really into social, always have been into social. When Facebook came out for high schoolers, got really into it. I started, you know, posting everything on Facebook and which is, I guess, common back then. And I wrote several browser extensions for Facebook. And one of them added a search box to your profile. And that one got pretty popular, right? And I personally used it because I Facebook and I always wanted to like have a conversation with somebody like, wait, like, I want to share this article with you and I would forget who wrote it or what, where it was from. And so I would want to search my own profile. And I used to just click see more posts manually until I found it. So that's what my browser extension did. I wrote in like a weekend and it just clicked see more posts for you over and over. Yeah. So anyways, that guy got me noticed by Facebook and oh, I didn't notice. I like applied through like the college program and then the recruit, I mentioned this to a recruiter and she said it was cool. Anyways, so I got an internship there as sophomore year. This is 2011. So give you some background. Facebook at the time was like one two-story building. There was technically two buildings, but like most of engineering was in product and design was in this one building, right? And it just, it was, it felt crazy. Like it felt, I mean, Facebook was already huge at the time, right? And it felt every, there's no politics. Everyone was like working together. Everyone knew each other. It was, felt like a pretty magical place. And on my second day, there was a hackathon. And so on this hackathon, I'm like, okay, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take the search thing that I built and I'm going to make it happen for real. So I got a little team together. We got nowhere on that first day. Like it turns out it's way harder to build a search index than it is to click this, you know, make this like browser extension that clicks see more posts. But I kept on working on it every day. Like after, after work, I like worked on it a bit more and made a little bit more progress. And probably what made me fall in love with the company was halfway through my internship. My manager just told me to forget about my assigned intern project and I could just work on my hackathon. So yeah, I was like a kid. I was like, that was so amazing, right? So I, I never left Facebook. I like kept working there. I worked on that project alone for a year. So I was solo on this project, building the search index for a year. And after you know a while, I actually became a major strategic priority for the company. There was this goal to create like a whole like search index for posts. And it was amazing. We built at the time, the largest index in the world. That's on authority of the Google engineers we poached. So it was like the entire search team was working on this. I, I was a very small part. There's just like genius C++ people. Like my mentor read the entire C++ 11 spec to give you an idea. Uh, a single replica of our index was 25 racks in a data center. And each of them was outfitted with these like fusion IO cards, which were at the time, like the thing, there's some, some, some sort of in between Ram and hard drive, or it's like, a, yeah, it was like a precursor to flash drives, I guess it was a kind of flash drive. But uh, we bought out all of the flashcards. There were some Taiwanese company. We bought all of them. That was so expensive. <laughs> Anyways, so this is a you know background. After that, I, I worked at, kept working on Facebook. I, I wanted to try something new, so we I moved to New York. Started a new team called Public Conversations. At the time, every time Mark posted on Facebook, he just got spammy comments. So he wanted to make this better. And I always had this passion for discourse. So I wanted to improve the quality of discourse on Facebook. So that was our that was our team motto. We were improving the quality of discourse on Facebook initially from a comment ranking stack which we, we built out uh, initially was just like ripped off from Reddit. We built out all of this like natural language processing, deep learning stuff that I honestly don't have full understanding of, but that team was amazing. That was great too. I, I was engineering manager, also vaguely the PM because we never managed to staff a PM. But so what made me leave Facebook, I'll tell you, was it was a confluence of things. And it, at the time, like it was a very difficult decision, but it also felt like a very clear decision. And what I mean by that is basically 
we, so we had this team going, this public conversation team that I loved. And after several reorgs, we were in an org called Media. And Mark got really excited about live video in 2016. And so he did this company-wide lockdown, and then he rotated our entire org to work on live video. So my perspective, I, I have no issues with live video. Like I'm, it's sure it makes sense as a company priority, but it's not my passion. So there was that. There was also this happened at the same time as my four-year vest, right? And so all these factors are pointing to like, this is probably the time it to leave. Time. Yeah. So yeah, I had a pretty, I had my final meeting with my director, I was like tearing up and stuff. It was pretty intense. <laughs> In retrospect, probably more intense than it needed to be, but. Just um, a business decision. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, but they like, they were a big part of your growth, right? From college. Like you, you didn't have to finish college to, and then you worked at one of the fastest growing companies on earth. Like it's, it's a big part of your identity that you're leaving behind. Absolutely. I felt, yeah, like it, it's hard to overstate. Like Facebook to me wasn't really a company. It was like the only company I'd ever worked at. It was like yeah. some, to some extent, like I, I'm just exaggerating, but there was an aspect of being like a, like a family in the sense that like I had done this internship with all these interns in 2011 and we all felt pretty connected and we had saved the company and it like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think it was good that it felt this way to me, but that's how it felt. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I just, I, I love a little, a few of the tidbits here. First of all, working on the thing that you think should exist and then eventually the company comes around and recognizes it. That I think that that's a very common thing I see in, in smart people that like you should just ignore what, what people tell you as a priority and think for yourself. And obviously you should do your job, but then yeah. also you have to have some leadership there and then people will eventually recognize it. And then the second thing is the way that Mark tends to lock down the company at, at yeah. critical stages. I'm sure you were there for the mobile pivot as well. Oh, yeah, so that was huge. It, it, people, people forget it now, but there was a time when Facebook wasn't, yeah, there was a time when Facebook wasn't guaranteed. There was a time when after Facebook IPO, the stock went down. Like everyone was saying Facebook's not going to make it, which in retrospect, like nobody, nobody could see that being a concern now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's pretty cool. And yeah, it's cool to hear another story uh, about that, but okay. So let's bring it, bring it a bit closer to time. So yeah. then you left. Did you have a clear idea what you were going to do? No. Well, so background from about me is I, I had held a job since I was 14. So I had like multiple jobs, like grocery store bagger, like a teaching assistant at Kumon, like all this like, pro, like internships. And so I just been working forever. So I wanted to basically try spend some time not working. So I, I, you know, I did the post Facebook, did some traveling, did some like other cool projects. I, I, I worked on this really cool, actually Burning Man project where we built this like 16 foot tall dome that had 7,500 LEDs that animated with the music. So that was a really cool problem. Just like between the processing audio and the like LED stuff was, it was really fun. I, I worked with a, a close friend of mine who was like a hardware expert. So he was able to build all the hardware and I was able to do all like the software. And that was like a multi-year project. But yeah, also worked on SquadCal, that app I talked about. And yeah, just a lot of open source stuff. And then I guess, so you're pivoting constantly. You started with more of like a collaboration thing. Then it was more of a calendar thing. And now it's more focused on chat. What is it based on? What is this like a product instinct that you're having? Or is there a community that you're closely connected to that's giving you all this feedback? Is it just friends? Yeah. Like, well, so, so I wouldn't say I'm, I'm pivoting constantly. I mean, honestly, <laughs> the, the app was a passion project and, and wasn't really like a startup where, where with a startup, you're like, you're trying to find something that hits and you're trying to like pivot until you find it. I started this thing with this kind of focus on calendaring and focus on collaboration, just things that we needed as a camp. And in terms of the pivot to calm, that all happened a year ago. So that all happened yeah. with a year ago, I started working on anti-encryption. I realized I can't build the end-to-end -end encryption layer. It literally is impossible. I would have to roll back a bunch of my features. And then I start thinking and realize, okay, actually 
it's impossible to build most apps with end-to-end encryption. You can only build these like simple chat apps, which is great. And I'm a huge fan of Signal, but that's all we can do today, right? And so from there, I realized, okay, you know what? In the future, the only way we're going to get to privacy by default, the only way we're going to get to end-to-end encryption being something that scales is if people have their own servers, right? And so once I had that realization, I worked backwards of like, okay, what's the most likely thing that's going to hit, that's going to get an install base of key servers going? Because I think whoever builds this first install base of key servers is going to be really well positioned to capture this market. And that's what led me to pivoting the app. Can I, I need to, cause I don't think I understand this very well. So yeah. uh, you can do enter encryption for chat. I don't understand what that the material difference is between chat and every other kind of app uh, because totally. it's just a transport layer like yeah that's exactly right it's just a transport layer and that's a limitation right so the average app you see out there let's let's take slack as an example slack is built with a, with a client server model right and this is how apps have been built since the dawn of time since back in 2004 when i was writing php apps actually it was mostly server back then but there's always been a server layer right and what does the server layer do right well classic stuff includes like executing search queries, like ranking, right? It does a lot of stuff, right? Fundamentally, usually with a client server model, you have a thin client, the kind of client that when it starts up, connects to the server, asks the server, what do I need to display? The server tells it everything. And the client just like only keeps around what it needs in the cache. And next time it connects, it gets that same background. An end-to-end encrypted chat app is nothing like this, right? An end-to-end encrypted chat app takes all that server stuff, puts it onto the client, and then the server is just a message broker. And all the server does is you, know, you say, I want to send a message to user X. It receives that message, queues it up. And then when user X next connects, it flushes that queue. That's all that's going on, right? And the reason for that fundamentally is because end-to-end encryption is about being able to guarantee to the user that the app developer doesn't have access to their data. And not just the app developer, also governments, also service providers, but really it's about the app developer, right? And with a server layer like Slack has, Facebook has, like Dropbox has, obviously the app developer has access to your data, right? And you know, the only thing you can really do with end-to-end encryption is you can put ciphertext up there. But all the typical stuff that a server needs to do, with the exception of maybe backup, most of it requires actually having access to that plain text. And that's why apps like Signal, apps like WhatsApp have basically no server layer, right? Okay, so does that also mean that I mean, let's say there's an existing history or database of documents and stuff. Like when I first connect, I have to download the, the full thing. Is this, what do you Bitcoin? mean? Sorry. Is, is this for what, an app? No, maybe an app like signal, but I'm just talking generic. Like how do you deal with data? Right. Cause you're just saying like mm-hmm. just a queue now, meaning that, you know, one, I, I, yeah. I don't know how to, to me, this is obvious. Like if in the client server model, the server keeps all the state. Right. So now when, when a state, when the server is just a, just a queue, there's no state on, on the server, essentially. There's I mean, no there's state. A yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. There's a little yeah. bit of state with tracking yeah. who's, who synced what, but that big, if I were to build notion yeah. and encrypted, where does the, the database go? Great question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so there's a, there's several kinds of points to talk about here. So with something like signal or WhatsApp that uses the double ratchet protocol, which is the protocol that signal introduced that preserves a principle called forward secrecy there it gets much more difficult to back up encrypted data now i'll go into that in, in a second but as a default if you build something like for instance keybase took t- this approach of giving up on forward secrecy and using a single symmetric key for an entire chat room if you take that approach you actually can back up data you can back up ciphertext right because signal and whatsapp don't take that approach their server has no backup. And that's crucial to understand. If you've ever tried backing up your WhatsApp data, the way it works is you go through a menu tree and then you pick iCloud, or it's, depending on if you're iOS or Android, it's iCloud or, or Google Drive. It keeps, you have to keep the app open while it like 
serializes, encrypts everything. Actually, it doesn't. It's plain text, so there's no encryption. But uh, it takes it and then uploads it, and you keep the app open while that's happening. And now you've backed up your data as of that day. If you have some more messages the next day, and then you lose your phone, those messages are gone. If you don't want to spend all this time with the app open waiting for it to upload, then there's no backup. I don't know. I don't have the numbers. My guess is most users do not back up their WhatsApp. As for Signal, no backup. That's just not, not how they do it. So and you've probably had this experience. I don't know if you've ever gotten a new phone and you see your Signal chats are missing. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I have, so I have two phones. And when I switch uh, SIM cards, just for international travel and stuff like that. I can see that the WhatsApp doesn't transfer over. So yeah, I, that, that makes a lot more sense now. I never really questioned why. I thought it was just a poor UX decision. Uh, <laughs> but now, it's, now it's, I see it's just a necessary part of the end-to-end encryption. So is this a fundamental thing? Is, that, is this something you're trying to solve or are you just saying this is... So the backup thing isn't like super fundamental. So, okay. So it might be worth talking about some alternative approaches, right? So, yeah. so the two that might be worth talking about are uh, matrix. Are you familiar with matrix? Not really. I, I, I was going to ask about it because it's the other big end-to-end chat thing. Yeah. Matrix is super cool. Um, they have in a lot of ways, a similar model to what we're doing. They have this idea of you have a home server and that your home server tracks your data. And they're a little bit more focused on kind of interoperability and allowing different, any different client that you want to use can use the same kind of matrix protocol. Uh, but crucially the big difference is for end-to-end encryption on the matrix platform, it's still client-based, right? So your home server doesn't have access to your plain text. That makes sense because the way they set up home servers, you find a home server provider on the internet somewhere. It's like some service provider, right? So you don't want to just give access to your data to that provider, right? But Matrix has a protocol, an end-to-end encryption protocol that actually is pretty similar to Double Ratchet for licensing reasons because they didn't want to use the uh, the BS, sorry, the uh, the GPL license. They built their own and, and then BSD licensed it. I think it's called Megolm, but it's pretty much ripped off from, from Double Ratchet. So very similar with forward secrecy. So the way forward secrecy works and the way double ratchet works is every single message that you send has a different encryption key. And that's important to understand, right? So you might think you have just like one encryption key. If you and I are having a chat, right? We're just encrypting each message with that same key, or maybe we each have our own and we encrypt it with that key. That's not what's going on. Actually, each message has its own key. And the ratchet part of double ratchet is every time you send a message, that key gets ratcheted and a new key is created, right? And why it's called double ratchet is because every time, so let's say I send you four messages, then you send a a message back, there's a new Diffie-Hellman that occurs. Are you familiar with Diffie-Hellman? Okay, okay. Backtrack a little bit. So (laughs) Diffie-Hellman is a definitive cryptographic protocol. It was pioneered in maybe the 70s or 80s. And basically what it does is that you can imagine two people in a crowded like uh, bazaar. Let's say you're somewhere in, in, I don't know, Istanbul, and there's a thousand people around you. You can yell at each other. Like what person A yells a secret in the air person. It's not a secret, just like some, something, they yell something person B yells something in the air. And from that point on, these two individuals can communicate in public encrypted, completely secret in a way that no one else can understand what they're talking about. And they went into this without any prior secrets either. So they met in the spot, they yelled these things out, and now they have a secret way of communicating. So Diffie-Hellman is how like TLS works. Like when we go to HTTPS websites, like it's a backbone of everything, right? So when you have end-to-end encryption, Diffie-Hellman allows you two random individuals to be able to create this like encrypted channel with each other. So with double ratchet, a new Diffie-Hellman occurs every single time some like the conversation is switched. Like every time I start talking, a new Diffie-Hellman occurs. And every time you start talking, a new Diffie-Hellman occurs. That's the first ratchet. The second ratchet is every time you send a message, there's a deterministic ratchet, one that both uh, sides can like predict 
like to say, okay, this message now gets ratcheted into this key, into this key, into this key. Okay. So all this background is to point out that in order to be able, so, so the default way you would imagine a backup would occur and the default way a backup occurs for an app like messenger is I send you a message before, before Facebook messenger even sends it to you, it backs it up, right? It takes that message and it stores it in its database, right? It's a really easy, transparent, automatic way of backing up. You don't have to manually back anything up. You don't lose your data since the last backup. It's great, right? The issue is because every single one of these messages has a different key. And because obviously those keys aren't being exposed to that server now, the server can back up the ciphertext, but that ciphertext is useless without the keys. And so to really back everything up, you need the clients now to take this giant bundle of keys that they've created to encrypt all of that and to back it up. And that's what Matrix does. And Matrix has this, you can go on their GitHub, there's an issue there. And this is a long-standing issue. If you log into a web browser for the first time, it freezes the web browser for 10 minutes because what's happening is it's downloading all of these keys yeah. onto your client so that now you can actually get the backup and actually scroll up in your chat history, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's one approach and it has its limitations. The, another approach is what Keybase does. Keybase also tries to solve a similar problem with like large chats and they basically gave up on, on forward secrecy. So their approach is our every chat has a single symmetric key right? If you get added to that chat, you get handed that same symmetric key. If there's a thousand people, they all have the same symmetric key. It changes. There is some stuff where if someone leaves, they need to change the key. There are ways to rotate the keys, but basically ultimately the point of the system is such that you can join a chat. You could scroll up, see all the history without having to download all these secondary keys. Their approach is very controversial in terms of the, like the cryptographic kind of constraints that they're giving up on. It, it's hard to argue that their form of antenna encryption is as secure as everyone else's. They're pretty much the only platform that gave up on forward secrecy. Everyone else uses double ratchet. It's a standard. So I usually don't get that deep into this stuff, but yeah, <laughs> it, to, to really deeply understand why it is, why, why backup is as broken as it is for antenna encryption today, you really have to understand it from all these angles. And the important yeah. thing to, to mention beyond this is backup is the easy part. So I talked about like search, I talked about ranking. Backup is by far the easiest problem to solve, right? Trying to build like some homomorphic encryption way for a ranker to be able to see ciphertext and then to still extract interesting features from that ciphertext that it can rank. It's like an unsolved problem. I don't imagine it will be solved anytime in the next 20 years. Fundamentally to do server stuff, you usually need access to plain text data. And that's the crossroads we're at. We, until we solve that problem, it's. We're going to have simple chat apps on end-to-end encryption and nothing else. Okay. But you're trying to go beyond that with, yeah. the, with the key server. So, so to be clear, neither matrix or Keybase do the local key server thing, whatever, no. whatever that is. Uh, yeah. and, and I still, yeah. I, I still don't know what it is. And I also wanted to know if there's any desktop equivalent, because uh, it seems this is a mobile focused solution. So I was wondering if there's a desktop analogy that we can look at is currently functioning. So I wouldn't say it's a mobile focused solution. So. Okay, so what's a key server? A key server is your own personal data operating system, your own per personal kind of like private data cloud. Today, the world we live in, you have a bunch of accounts. You have an account with Facebook, you have an account with Slack, you have an account with Google. They all maintain these like walled gardens where your data is stored, right? And they have control over data. Maybe they'll say you have some control, whatever. Ultimately, like you defer to them to manage your digital life. The key server flips that around. In the key server model, your data is on your device. It's controlled by you and you authorize Facebook, Google, et cetera, to use your key server. 
and to either store some data on there or to enable you to communicate with, maybe it's a social app so you can like chat with your friends, but all that stuff, you allow them to, to do that. And crucially, the key server controls where that code runs, right? So you can't, as an app developer, you can't actually have a standalone app, an iOS app with, with a setup as it is, because that would mean that you could take that data and exfiltrate it, send it to some logging service, some analytics service. So it's basically this whole like closed platform that controls your data and, and how it works. And the goal is ultimately to take the cloud and actually to replace it with a federated network of key servers, right? These key mm -hmm. servers talk to each other. So a couple of crucial things to understand about a key server. First of all, what it's not a database. And this is important to understand. So a lot of people assume, okay, so this thing has all of your data, right? <laughs> it actually, it doesn't need to, it could just have your keys. The important thing is, right, that it has your keys because you can take whatever data you want and you can encrypt that data with your keys and put it out somewhere else in the cloud. You can store it in some IPFS or whatever distributed. It doesn't even have to be distributed, right? The important thing is that this is just a cache, basically. Like you ask it to do operations for you. It pulls down the information it needs and does that stuff and sends the response back, right? So we're trying to replace not the database layer, but we're trying to replace the cloud code, which is, I guess, to use parse terminology, if you remember parse, but like this idea of code that runs in the cloud, server layer code, that's what we're ultimately trying to replace. And we're trying to take that and move it to an environment that is controlled by the user. So another thing that can be confusing is like, where does this thing run, right? So another thing it's that this is not, a key server is not uh, encryption as a service. And what I mean by that is we, we are not offering you, we're not offering a service to run this key server for you. We can't do that because crucially the key server needs access to your plain text data. So if we're running your key server for you, we have your plain text data, right? So we don't do that. And it's actually, it's up to the user to figure out where they want to run their key server. As a default, we offer initially when we launch, we're going to have two ways to do that. Way number one is to take a spare laptop, some laptop that you're not using, plug it into a wall socket, keep it on 24 seven, and that becomes your key server, right? Option number two is to deploy something to the cloud. And this is we're borrowing Google outline VPNs approach where they basically Google Outline VPN lets you download this like manager thing to your laptop. And then it walks you through the process of deploying a VPN to the cloud and you can deploy it to AWS, to Google cloud, and even to DigitalOcean. So our, we'll have a similar model where you can deploy to whatever account you want. Obviously Amazon will have access to your data. Whether that matters to you, I think is depends on the person. I'll say this, like it's not Amazon or Google's business model to be reading your data. I'm pretty sure that they tell you that they don't read your data. And I think only in the case of a government order would that become relevant. And so I'll say this, we're not trying to build like this, like super, we were trying to build a world with, with privacy by default. That's what we're going for. Right. And I, I think having your own kind of platform out in Amazon or in Google, like it is privacy by default. It's a system where your data isn't being harvested, where your data isn't being monitored at all times. It's not quite the same as maybe what a spy would want or like a criminal would want or whatever else. And maybe for those users, they probably want to keep using Signal or maybe they'll have a key server on a laptop at home. But what we're trying to do is build something for the average user to get away from this world where you're just being tracked all the time. Yeah. A couple of questions. So when you say things like it will replace Dropbox, Facebook and so on. Yeah. So something like, so like the, how much, so as a, let's say I'm, I'm, I want to, I want to start the next Dropbox. I want to start the next Facebook. Yeah. And I, I want to build it with the premise of, let's just say the key servers are a thing and mm -hmm. uh, I want to interact yeah. with all these. How much control do I have on changing the, the schema? Because that's I think that's ultimately what I want, right? If I can only get what the user gives me, then my pace of development is very slow. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, so in terms of a typical app, when you're developing a typical app, you have access to all this stuff. Like, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, with this model, you don't, right? And so there, there's a couple kind of ways around that. One thing that you could do is as an app developer, you could say, okay, in order to use my app, you have to friend me on com. So you have to take, you have to actually friend my like corporate account. And that will allow Com to, to actually say, okay, we can send data to this because we limit who you can communicate with based on your social graph, right? So you can imagine a world where basically most apps, because the app developer just needs some logging data to be able to move forward, will ask you to, to authorize the app to actually send data out, right? And that's a trust relationship that you have to have between the app developer and the user. What we want to do is to make that explicit, right? And I also think that depending on the application, right? So something like Dropbox, I'll say, it doesn't have to be too complicated. Like it's ultimately like this like file storage thing. And I think ideally if I was picking between an app that was maybe was, was app development, like finished mostly several years back and they just had something that works and they don't need to constantly be like getting all my data. I'd probably prefer that to an app that's maybe being like, constantly evolved, but is, has this like kind of leak in there. Right. But probably depends on the app. Right. So if you imagine maybe like a social app, I, I probably would make that trade off in a different direction, given that it's harder to iterate on a social app like that. So it probably depends on the application, what kind of data you're putting on the application, all this kind of stuff. But the important thing is users should be aware of it and the user should have control. Yeah. So, but to be clear, the vision is that other people will build all these uh, apps on top of Com rather than Com building all these uh, things, right? Yeah. Um, so, well, so we're, we, we don't believe we can launch this as a platform. So if we just throw this thing out there and just say, hey, write apps for it, it's a hard sell because we don't have users and users want to see apps. Yeah. So we're starting by actually building out what we think is like a killer app and that's just like Discord competitor. And the thinking there is Discord, it's been so successful and it's testament to this desire for private chat communities, right? But Discord is built a product for gamers, right? And it's really good for gamers. And what gamers need is like real time in the moment, kind of real time chat, right? But that's not what everyone needs. And you have so many communities, and I have so many communities on Discord now that need something different. I have you know, all these blockchain communities, all these like GitHub developer communities that probably need something that's more structured, that's more asynchronous, right? It's more collaborative. And so the way I look at it is Discord is bound to get unbundled. There's no way in five years that we don't have like 10 Discords, right? And we're starting by basically building the anti-Discord exists. We're trying to take the opposite kind of angle, build something that's very complementary to Discord. Uh, and so I think there's a real need in the market for this. And I think kind of the end-to-end encryption is a huge plus, especially given we're targeting these initial kind of blockchain developer GitHub nerds. And the hope is that these are also going to be the first people to actually build apps in our platform, right? But yeah, I mean, your point is correct. Like we ultimately, this is meant to be a platform. And when we get there, like the hope is that we'll have users building apps on our platform rather than us being this like singular app developer. Oh, that's fantastic. I often reflect on how a lot of times people who want to build platforms end up building product first. And sometimes the product just takes off way more than the platform and, oh, or the other approach, right? Like then it just proves the viability of the, the platform and more people will come up and build on the platform, which is uh, great for you. Yeah. It just, it does split your attention a little bit, but whatever, yeah. you're pretty committed to this. Yeah. How much have you built already? So I don't know, probably not too much. So we have an app and that app is, is actually pretty mature. It, given that I've been working on it for a long time. So we have an iOS app, an Android app, a website. But all this key server stuff I'm talking about really has not been built out. We're just getting started on that stuff. So the, the, I mean, this company really got started in January. We have one employee besides me. So really not much of it has been built. Gotcha. Can I see? Because I, I don't think I saw it. You, you sent me. So all I have is this Notion thing. Oh, uh, yeah, I yeah. Do you want to see? I don't think I saw the, the, yeah, I don't think I saw yeah, any yeah. site or, or app or anything. 
Okay. So yeah, 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 it's all on GitHub. I'll share my screen just in case anyone is watching. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> never know. Uh, this is cool. I always like to star things for people. Uh, oh so. yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. So so this is as it is. It's mostly like just the team collaborating on this thing. So it's not like. Yeah, we tried using that a while back. We have <laughs> okay. that since twenty twenty. It comes and goes. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I uh, find it I find it very useful if you commit to it. But then sometimes mm -hmm. stuff happens. Like notion mostly for that kind of like coordination stuff. So basically not much to show like publicly, but you're there's just active development going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you can see the squadcal app now, but that, that's what currently what this currently builds to. So yeah, it's squadcal.org. There it is. But this is yeah, this design has been this is from like twenty eighteen. You can see even the the Android still has the doesn't doesn't have the what's it called full screen device it looks looks a little old uh, but basically yeah i mean so we have this app SquadCal, and we're continuing to release the thing as SquadCal because we don't want to use a new use the name com until we've actually built out the end-to-end encryption layer we want to be able yeah. to tell users right that this is truly private and so we don't want to besmirch the brand with like fake end-to-end -end encryption so we're basically continuing to use the SquadCal name until we get to a point where we have the end-to-end encryption figured out but the repos are under the name com now. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah. Perfect. I mean, look, don't be embarrassed about it. This is what early stage is. Totally. <laughs> you should be shipping stuff you're embarrassed by. But like, what's the, so what's like the game plan for the next, the, the near term? Because it, it's, it really seems like this is going to hinge on, I guess, this getting adoption within the communities that, that you want to adopt. I will say that I raised my eyebrow when you said that you think Discord will be unbundled because I think Discord has a huge network effect. I don't know how to, overcome it. I've, I'm invested in Circle and we're trying to bridge people from Discord to Circle. And it just seems like Discord is just way more active anyway, just because people are already in it. And so starting a new app is difficult, but then yeah. I think I, I said this to you in my email, like start a new app is difficult, but if you pull it off, then uh, it's a hugely defensible mode. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, you're, you're super right. I mean, in terms of putting our investor hats on, I'd say this is the kind of thing that's like m much less likely to hit than most startups. But if it <laughs> does hit, it's like a, it's like a huge thing, right? And I'll say this, I have, I have deep confidence in the kind of two, two kind of principles. The first is that the world's going towards privacy, that you know, people are increasingly aware of their digital footprint, increasingly desire to have control over their own privacy and their own data. And that people, I think the world's moving towards like a world where you have privacy by default. And number two thing that I have high degree of confidence on is that the only way we can scale end-to-end -end encryption, the only way we can get to a world with privacy by default is with something like key servers. People have to have their own kind of server, right? And so I hold these two things near and dear. Everything else, like this Discord idea, is, is just an attempt. It just, it just like yeah. it's something we're trying to, we're trying out. And yeah. if it doesn't work, we'll try to pivot and try to find something else. In terms of like why I'm optimistic about it, I'll I'll say there's a whole thing I gave the whole spiel I gave you where I, I look at this as and see Discord like being hacked in, into a lot of use cases that it really just wasn't built for. And I think in particular, the communities I've been talking about, these like blockchain developers and these GitHub people, they're obsessed with this kind of vision of decentralized community. Like they're already in our cult. Of, of having control of their data it, rather than deferring that to some corporation, right? So I yes. think there's a huge appeal there and I'm hoping those two things will work together. The other side of it is we consider three other angles of how to build this thing and they, they have some limitations that this Discord approach doesn't. One of the biggest advantages of the Discord approach is that only admins need to set up a key server, right? Because setting up a key server, it's like a pretty high friction process. I talked about it earlier. You either have a spare laptop or you deploy something to the cloud. And maybe your super nerd is going to be down to do that initially, but the average user is like, I just want to install now. And so with this kind of Discord approach, only the admin needs to do it. And the average user just sets it up on their phone, just like any other kind of app. And there's one other thing. Oh yeah, the social layer. So basically 
another big advantage of this, of this kind of Discord approach as opposed to some of the other approaches we've talked about. So ultimately, antenna encryption, it's, it's, it's a social thing. It's about enabling two users to be able to communicate with each other without having some intermediary of access to that data, right? So in order for us to be able to do that, to be able to guarantee to a user that any app that they install on our platform is antenna encrypted, for us to make that guarantee, we need to control all aspects of that app and we have to control where it runs and we can't at, let the app developer have access to the internet, right? And that means that we have to provide the social layer. And for us to be able to do that, we need to bootstrap a social craft. And so it's another kind of big advantage of this Discord approach that a lot of the other approaches just don't have. But yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, you're totally right. Like the most likely reason this thing fails is we fail to get traction with our app. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, they, they are this. I think uh, I love the ambition. I love the mission, and we're totally right to focus in on on. I guess your words, the cult of uh, people who who really want to control the data and have the technical competency to set this thing up, because I think people want privacy first. But the to tr every time you trade off UX, that's a large chunk of the population you just shut off. So it's a it's a challenging thing. What can I, what can I? You reached out to me talking about yeah, introductions. Yeah. I'm probably not going to invest at this stage because I, yeah. I don't really understand this as as well as I should. But I mean, I'm really impressed oh, by your storytelling uh, and your background. And I, I mean, I think this is a it's one of those things where if it goes well, it goes really well. And, and I'm always open to to ideas like that. But who can I introduce you to? What kind of help are you looking for? Yeah. So the number one thing I'm trying to figure out right now is hiring. So we have me, we have one employee, but he's straight out of college and we have like a team in Poland, but like, really I need to find kind of two personas. One is like kind of CTO characters, 10X engineer replaced me right now. I'm doing all this code review, like right yeah. before this call, I was doing code review and I just, I don't have time to do all this stuff. And so I need to find someone who can build out the first version of all this key server tech and own that. And then the other kind of side, I need to find somebody who's like a design product guru, somebody who can like owns this product definition because I have some experience with product. I've spent my life working on social products, but in terms of like design, I'm like, I can, I'm, I'm not good at I'm designing things super well. So I need somebody who can partner with me on that. And also a lot of other, a lot of other hats that need to be worn stuff like kind of community manager, UX researcher. So the number one way you could help me is if you know anybody who could be a good fit for either of these roles or if no one comes to mind, if people who might know people, so second order, so yeah, whoever yeah. you could think of who, who might know somebody. And do you, have you, have you applied to any of the accelerators like the YCs of the world, but there, there can be more than that. I yeah, think you're in so, New York, right? So TechStars is also an option. Yeah, yeah. So, so I spent a good amount of time considering some accelerators. I ultimately decided against all of them right now, a uh, couple kind of concerns. One with this whole kind of like pandemic situation, like they're all trying to do remote and I just don't know if, if I can really get to that level of confidence about somebody just like from zoom. And I don't know if like the magic, the collaborative magic is going to, is going to spark. And before you go into these, they always ask for 7% and 7%. I mean, I've already raised some money. I don't think my investors are, would be super excited about that. And I also myself would have to really justify that pretty strongly. I'm redacting some details about fundraising here per request. Good. So yeah. So I'd say honestly, fundraising went quite well. I think it's testament to this is like a moment for encryption right now. And I think there's a lot of money floating around and I, I think I've gotten pretty good at the storytelling and then the selling. But the part that I'm really struggling on is hiring, which is weird because I come from a technical background, but I've already tried all my friends and I've tried their friends and yeah. yeah. So whatever you can do to help there, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. I'll keep it. I'll uh, keep this in mind. I don't, no one comes to mind like right now. I, I have, I mean, we're, we're, we're in a, yeah, I work at Temporal and we're in the process of trying to hire a design lead ourselves. Yeah, it's hard. But, but, but this is a very different opportunity and we can both coexist and I'll just 
make sure to route people to you when their sort of profile matches up. I was also going to suggest, I didn't know, I didn't know you're this far advanced in, in the fundraising because uh, I was going to suggest talking to people like Brian Acton or Mike Krieger to invest because they're pretty active angels. I would love to talk to either of those people. Yeah, literally both, both those people are people that I would love to get connected to and haven't been able to find like an, an like a, like an angle. Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, so, happen, so Mike, uh, yeah, Mike's a co-investor in Superbase. So what I should do is I should introduce you to, this is going to be a, because I'm two degrees separation from him. So I'll introduce you to Paul Copplestone, who is, who's the CEO of Superbase, who Mike invested in. And so if he, he can probably get you that warm intro, Mike seems like he's just investing in everything. So I think he'll at least take a call from you just because of your background. And this is something that he's interested in. Brian Acton, I have zero connections to. I'm just, I just think that he's very interested in. in yeah, 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 exactly. No, Brian Acton obviously makes a lot of sense. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, if I could find anybody from that WhatsApp team, um, it'd be amazing. Yeah. 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 Also okay, Moxie cool. Marlon Spike, if you know anyone who knows Moxie. Moxie, I don't know Moxie. Oh, sorry. This, the founder of Signal. Oh, okay. Got it. This is how far out of depth I am. Like, <laughs> I'm not super close. I just, I know it's a thing and I know some people tangentially, but cool. No one, no one comes to mind. I don't want to, you know, overpromise. Uh, yeah, yeah no, totally. What I can do, but I, I thought this is very compelling. And I thought at least the, the least I can do is have this, have your story straight. So when I tell it to people, I at least get to help you pitch these things and hopefully send people your way. Uh, I, I think you're, I think you're working on really cool stuff. I mean, I'm a little bit jealous because you have the space to experiment and you're passionate about this. And, and you know, even if this immediate thing doesn't work out, you'll find something else that, that, that clicks. So this is, this is pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. I, I appreciate the vote of confidence.